everybody. It is Corey Poirier and excited to be back with the latest edition of the Let's Do Influencing show and really excited to have a, I guess for the uh, Let's Do Influencing under that banner, a first time guest. And so Tamara Thompson, I'm really excited to have you with us today. And Tamara, where we like to start first and foremost, is to get you to tell us a little bit about your maybe backstory or your journey or background for those listeners who may be discovering you for the very first time today. Okay, well, thanks for having me, Corey. I'm excited to be here too. Um, my backstory um, begins with a lot of, I would say, struggle. Um, looking back, uh, I was earlier in my uh, 20s. I was in university and discovered I had a mental illness, bipolar. So being only 21, dealing with that for a good five to like eight years was tremendously hard. Um, I had to do so much um, work on myself uh, to get better and maintain my health. So. Anything that doctors would tell me I would do. So I became very, 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 um, I would say active in any uh, healing um, aspects that they, if they said go for a walk, I'd go for a walk. If they wanted me to do um, yoga, I would do yoga. So I was a very hard worker and I didn't, in terms of like not wanting to feel, I guess, sick in any way. It was just a really, really awful feeling. So anything I can do at that point to like feel better, I would do. Even if it, if I felt better for five minutes, I would do it. So doing that over and over and over again, I became um, well, I would say. I had a lot of wellness. Um, and that would lead, I guess I'd be like about 25, 28, when I started to see that my health was returning. So from that also, my biggest form of therapy for me was journalizing. So I was always um, coming home from work, writing, um, you know, about my day, things like that. And it really did help. And all the things that the doctors were asking me to do um, really, really did help. And I was very, very vigorous. And I, be, I got on top of it. And I was able to overcome a lot of things that were now I'm well. And I almost can't remember what that stage of my life feels like. I know things that happened, but I can't remember exactly. I know how painful it was, but I can't remember a lot of it because I feel like from there, I grew so much. So um, today um, I'm happy and well and, and um, thriving and, and I'm actually um, more happy than I've ever been. So, yeah. Wow. And so you know, for me, what's, uh, there's a couple of things there that I wanted to ask about. And one of the things I think, which is, is relates to my life in a big way, but my mother is, uh, is also bipolar. And so whenever I was growing up, I didn't really have an understanding of what it really meant. And <clears throat> I know there's, for some people, there's a, you know, a, a stigma that people might feel towards, let's say, uh, different mental illnesses. But one of the things that helped me a lot growing up is my mother was so blunt, for lack of a better way of saying it, about it. She would, you know, miscounter change and then say, you know, I'm sorry, I'm bipolar, my head's all over the place. But she would just say it like it was matter of fact. And, and you know, and you'd see some people are just shocked to hear somebody so openly talk about it. But I think it was so maybe liberating for her and freeing 
And I think it was also, even though it might be uncomfortable for that person at first, I think it's maybe more of what we need to do, which is be willing to talk, you know, that, that bell campaign, let's talk. Um, so I guess for you, um, can you talk to Tamara, what was, you know, was it a struggle for you uh, to find that out, to own it, to maybe even have conversations with people about it? Exactly. And we need more, we need people like your mom to really, really just say it like it is. It's like almost um, when you compare people saying, oh, this one, people are short, people are tall. People don't really take that as something at all. It's sort of like a general comment and they're short people and tall people. Um, as I grew with um, being bipolar, um, I wanted that same sort of connection that, oh, they're bipolar, they're not, they have anxiety, they don't, and really make it general and accept it. Like I, I knew there was a huge stigma and that is the worst part about it. So I would show up to work so many times in a complete episode in my early 20s and I couldn't just call and say, I can't come to work, I have bipolar now. You know, so I had to make up all these excuses and it's almost like if someone had knee surgery, they'd say, okay, I'll be better in six weeks, I'll be back to work. And But with mental illness, there is no set time. It could be three weeks, three months, six years. So that was very, very hard to go to work in such a state that I didn't want anyone to notice me. It's like I had a glass around me and if anyone, even if I had a bad day, that glass would just shatter everywhere and I would pretty much in tears um, and there would be no reason for it because maybe people don't mean things I didn't have that um, reservoir I guess where I could just tap into my journalizing and things like that so it was very hard to step out and own it but then I decided maybe a couple years later if I was meeting someone even interviews um, with people, like a couple interviews I went on and I told them, oh, I have, um, I think I just said a couple things like, oh, I have emotional, you know, uh, emotional mood disorder. And they didn't get it. They kind of looked a little bit, but I was like, well, you're asking if there's anything um, health-wise that they need to know. So I would tell them, but I do remember a very uh, long point in my life. If I was dating anyone, for sure, I would just say, you know, even if it was like particularly first dates, I would tell them halfway through dinner or coffee, oh, I have bipolar. And if they didn't want to, if I didn't see them again, then I knew, okay, that's good to know. I don't want to like be with anyone that, you know, can't help in times of struggle or heartache or pain because, you know, if I'm looking for someone, I'm looking for someone that's going to accept everything about me. So I didn't, it didn't make me upset or sad when I told people, um, friends as well. Um, usually I'd be at a job for like maybe three months until I opened up about it. I would notice a shift. And um, I was happy to tell people after so long that I have bipolar. So that was one thing that I kind of like, this is me, this is who I am. My name is Tamara Thompson. I have bipolar. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I guess the other thing too, uh, before we jump into some of the work that you do, especially as a writer, but um, just to kind of finish that part off, I think that um, to your point, if people <clears throat> were more open about it and, and looked at it, like you said, just like I have a, a broken leg, I can't come into work, you know, the same way, 
I think we'd all be further along because the saddest part of the whole thing is, and I don't remember the numbers I've heard, but it's, it's, it's a significant number, like whatever, six or seven in 10 people either have had or will have a mental illness in their life. So the question is, if the majority of us are, have had it or will have it, why are we acting like nobody has it? That's the part that's never made sense to me. Yeah, and that, that is really, um, I have seen a difference in the younger generation. They're, they're very accepting of um, mood disorders. I think they've been taught by more and more throughout the years that it's okay to say I have anxiety or depression or I'm feeling depressed. So I know my, my grandmother suffered from depression um, and she was born, I believe, in the 20s. So she never spoke of it. And as a family, we were very, very close. But no one spoke of, oh, Nanny has depression. No one ever said that ever. So we found out, unfortunately, after she passed away. So for me, when I developed, uh, she had depression and I have bipolar. So for me, learning that, I was my whole reason it for speaking up about it so much is because a whole generation had to be so quiet about it and i remember my grandmother in tears so many times and there was no understanding no communication it was sort of just put um maybe swept under the rug and that's just how our grandmother is so i felt i felt bad that she had felt that she had to hide it from her closest relatives and we were together almost every day so that shadow I wanted to bring to light, definitely. And when I found out that I had it, it was only this, well, I found out I had it the same, I was hospitalized the same week she passed away. Wow. So I, yeah, so, and I don't know if I was sensitive to things going on. I was in university, so I was a couple hours away. But when I found that, that was just my fault. So there was a lot of, um, from that, I wanted to not only figure myself out, my illness out, I wanted to speak for a generation that had to hide. So Tamara, I guess that to me, that that's sort of a segue for me to the next part I want to talk about, which is your writing. So how does, and then we'll, we'll move more into the writing side of things, but how do you find this is, is kind of shown itself in your writing? How does this impact your writing? You know, dealing with the mental illness, do you find that it's, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a way to get your message out into the world. So where's the writing kind of come into all this? Well, um, I, I really always, even as a little girl, want to be a writer. Um, always, I was always writing. So um, with journalizing, with therapy, it helped um, me open up more, even to show myself things that I wasn't clear about. Um, so even in grade one, I'd be developing plots, you know, developing settings, asking people what I should come up with for characters. That was just something I enjoyed to do, enjoyed doing. So um, when I was journalizing, that really did help because it must have been about 10 years of journalizing at least once or twice a week. Uh, so having that, uh, talking about my emotions, talking about my feelings, you know, very, very openly was something that I was um, doing anyways. In 2010, I opened up a blog, and I just wanted to write little um, passages uh, about about mental illness because I wanted. I thought if I could write something, it would 
maybe help me even more so. But I thought, what a, what a cool way now with blogs that we could reach people and also uh, connect with people. And maybe they'll feel more inclined to open up or get help or speak about it. So during that whole process, um, that began in 2010. Um, that I really saw a huge development um, with reaching out and people responding. It took a long time though, I feel, because I was writing so deeply about mental illness. It took a long time for people to respond. So that was okay with me because I knew people were reading it. And I was really glad because it helped me. If I had something to say and I needed to get it out, I would write it in my blog. And then I wouldn't have to react to some things that I had to process. And then I would creatively write something. And it would just help me sort of release that emotion so that I felt better about whatever happened, if it was, you know, something that was hurting inside. And so I became, um, in a way, very, very um, much wanting to um, understand mental illness as well. And in 2010 as well, um, in 2008, I wrote a children's story. Now I was always writing children's stories anyways, and I always wanted to write, but I thought to myself, well, I was a, I'm big on ma uh, manifesting. So it was when The Secret was really, really big and everyone's was reading The Secret and things, the law of attraction. But even as a young girl, I remember manifesting things. Like I was seven years old and I would think of an outfit and I would get it for my birthday and I'm like, how did that happen? And there was nothing I read about it. So I was, and that would happen a few times. I thought of that outfit, now I have it. So I was like used to growing up visualizing and manifesting just clothing, <laughs> little uh, outfits that maybe a seven or eight year old girl would wear. I'd be like, oh, I love this. So, and I used that a lot growing up. And then when I read The Secret and I was always reading about self-development and aspects that um, would help me grow. So, especially with mental health. So when I wrote, when I was manifesting, I always wanted to be a writer and I was always thinking I would write a novel, but what would I say and how would I say it? And I tried, I attempted to and I, but then all of a sudden I had these ideas of writing a children's story. And then it would be about a frog who had depression and then the little things that would go on. And by, I think I thought of that around maybe seven or eight o'clock. And by that night I wrote something and I was like, this might be a book. And I wrote it also deep inside. I wrote it because I was given a medication in my twenties that had a birth control in it. And I didn't know that. And being married, I had no idea, but I always wanted to have a, a boy or girl, but it it wasn't happening. I had to do my own research, very, very uh, big research to find out what's going on with this medication. My doctor was able to help me wean myself off of it. And I was able to have a son in 2008. I had my son in 2015. So in 2008, deep inside, I really wanted to write a book that I, something I wanted to say to my son, seeing that it looked like in my 30s, I wasn't able to have one. So deep inside, I was like, I'm going to write something for him. And it has to be about mental illness. So, um, and it has to be about a mom and a son. 
So that's what I wrote about, and it's um, frogs and mommy frog and her son. And then she sort of sets a course, my character, in becoming so, so healthy. And at this point, I was not completely healthy at all. So my character was, but I was not. So I followed my character's story. And in 2010, it was published, and I was always promoting it on Facebook, even before big, big social media um, became a huge factor. Um, so when I followed my character, and I believe manifestation and visualization was a big thing too, I was able to have my son in 2015, rid myself of the medication that was not, that was hindering me and also uh, meditation, exercise, all sorts of things. Um, so I really, the power of intention I feel is like huge that if I, sometimes I write something and it may, and it just appears somehow like I'm, I'm <laughs> one little story that happened yesterday, even I'm getting married in May and, um, my friend said, oh, there's this free dress and it's exactly what I thought my size and I was able to pick that up and that was on my things to get buy list for January, things I need to buy, oh, a wedding dress. And now I have one. So I really, really believe like, I learned that Jim Carrey wrote a note to himself and put it in um, an envelope that what he wanted to pursue. So I took note of that, I think in grade, I'm not sure. I was younger, grade, maybe high school. So I kept a note of that. And then reading The Secret and learning these things, when, yeah, when you write something, when you put something into um, practice, when you're visualizing, things really do happen. I really believe um, dreams can be fulfilled, positive thinking, gratitude. So when I had my boy, I thought my book Before You Were Born was my big, you know, uh, thing in life. And it, it was wonderful. but following that was my son. I'm like, I did not expect that to happen, even though I've always, you know, being a woman always wanted a child. So it, it I, the story sort of uh, has a backstory. Wow. <clears throat> I love that. And I guess the other thing I'm curious about then, Tamara, is what kind of feedback have you gotten from the book? Because obviously you're addressing something major in a very creative and unique way. So I'd love to hear what kind of feedback you've gotten from people as a result of that. People do love the story. Um, they really want they read it and they're like, this is wonderful. This look at the look at the um, pictures. This is a wonderful story. And um, lately, when people have read the book, this is so nice. This is really, really, and they're telling me, almost like trying to make me believe it. <laughs> this is really good. You know that, right? And I'm like, oh, oh. So yeah, it's almost like people are telling me that it's good. <laughs> that, that's... Um, before I never, yeah, sorry. Before I never, I remember there was a few people, oh, this is something you've not heard of. I don't know if this is ever going to be and do and, you know, and that's okay. So, Awesome. And so the writing has obviously for you taken hold. And so when, when people ask how you spend your time, what you do, do you define yourself first and foremost as a writer? Definitely. Definitely. 
And so I guess where for you personally did that come from? Like, where, have you been able to identify what your call to writing was? I know you said that since you were really young, you always want to write a book, uh, but have you ever been able to identify what it is deep down in you that makes you love the, uh, the I'm going to say the craft of writing? Yeah, for me, it's completely um, inspiring others, like writing to inspire others. Um, because of going from being unwell to well, I've had to inspire myself and people around me to believe in me. <laughs> my Everybody, like from my brother to everybody. So believe in me, believe in me. I believe in you, you know. So drawing from inspiration is where um, I I focus on all of my writing. So if I'm, um, when it started for me to realize, cause it take, took me a long time to think of myself as a writer, a very, very long time. Um, when someone asked me to write something for them and I was able to sit with it and write all day long, that's to me, and that only happened maybe a year and a half ago. That's when I felt like, okay, this now I feel I got to write all day long on an article for someone and it, and it, it felt so good. <laughs> and so Tamara, I guess if I continue down this path and as we start to wind our way down, I want to ask you some key questions that we ask every guest. But before I jump ahead to those sort of main or key questions, I guess um, what I'd also love to ask you about is being a writer what do you find is most rewarding and how has social media impacted writing, marketing, all those kind of things? Okay. My favorite part about being a writer is, okay, I will say that when I'm stuck on a sentence, now this is just a technical side of it, but when I'm stuck, really stuck on a sentence or, or a paragraph or a title and I come up with something that feels kind of just really really right um, and and I'm able to because sometimes I'll be frustrated with writing something it's not coming together when that comes together and it all comes together after that one word then it just feels so good that's when I feel like okay I, that was that was difficult this word helped you know, so it's even in the technical side of it, um, that's what I like about it. Also, my favorite, favorite part about, I guess, writing articles is, I would say, publishing them. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense, because that's when they, when they literally take on a life of their own, and they have the that's right. yeah. impact more lives. And, and the second part, um, sorry, was what again? Oh, the second part is just how social media is impacted your writing. Like, oh, okay. Well, social media. Okay, so when I was um, when I was my first book being published, um, sorry, I don't know if you can hear anything in the background. Um, when my first book was being published, um, there I didn't even know how to do an attachment for about five years. I still had no idea to do an, how to do an attachment. So that was my first like, oh, I, I did the attachment. And then from there, so I would say that was only when Facebook was like right on the set off and ebooks were around and things like that as well. But um, from there, I would just post on Facebook over and over again to my like 200 high school friends doing that. Um, you know, and then having a business page a few years later, and then Instagram and things like that. 
I've done about 10 years of like hardcore social media. Um, even like before there was Instagram and things like that. So I was constantly doing that with my first, second and so on books that I sort of grew with it. And now I've been able to develop a social media business where I help others who are wanting to learn more about social media. Love it. And so Tamara, I mentioned that I want to wind down with some quick questions for you. Uh, so the first one is about purpose and passion. Our show used to be called Conversations with Passion. So I ask you, what are your thoughts on passion? Do you think it's uh, important for somebody to discover their passion? In this case, it could be writing. Uh, and if so, why? Um, I, I think it's when people have a passion and they're drawn to it and they're able to utilize it. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, if someone has a hobby, I believe if they're passionate about that, that's just one, that's a wonderful tool as well. Um, I think everybody has something they've all, they're drawn to, or they've always wanted to do. Um, if you're able to do something, I feel that you always wanted to do and pursue that. Um, even if you don't do it for a long time, it doesn't matter, but maybe one day you want to go to a circus, you never been to one, and then you join one um, a gym circus, you know, things like that. If you're doing what you want to do and are, and are able to put yourself first, um, rather than all the life demands that sometimes hold people back or, you know, stop them from pursuing things they love to do, I think when you're doing something you'd love to do, life just feels really, really good. And now the, the second, and I'm going to say second last question, but the last official one and my favorite question to ask is, Tamara, if you could sit across from a younger version of yourself and uh, let's say 18 years old, 16 years old, and ask her uh, or share, I should say, one piece of life advice based on what you've learned in the years since, what do you think you might tell her? Um, I would definitely tell her to use the word no. And... Um not be afraid to use the word no and to listen to her gut instinct about if it feels off that's when you should say no and so my last question which i, I said that was the last official so the unofficial question but maybe the most important is for people that have been listening to this interview learning a lot about you learning a lot about your work where would you normally direct them if they want to learn more or reach out and connect with you in the future if they wanted to reach out and connect with me, they could go to my Facebook page. It's a business page called I blog your business. Um, and if they wanted to send me a message, also my websites on there, they could look at my website, look at any of the books that um, I've published um, through Chipmunka, all sorts of things are on there. It's called I blog your business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.